Welcome to My SoCast Life, and Merry Christmas to all of you. It is the 11th of August, <laughs> and we're celebrating Christmas early. This is the show where we read our real-life diaries while re-watching that diary of our souls, My So-Called Life. I can't say the opening anymore. I used to be so good. I just lose it every time. What's happening to I'm us? I'm so sorry. My name is Matt Brown. And I'm Katerina. And uh, today we will be discussing the Christmas episode of My So-Called Life, which is called So-Called Angels. Oh, man. And it's a big one. And, of course, because the show lasted but a year, uh, they only ever got to do one of these. One wonders what, how they would have topped it for season two had they had the opportunity. Wow. Yeah. What would the second Christmas episode uh, have been like? Yeah. Who would the guest star have been? I don't know. I don't know. So we've we've discussed, I think we discussed on the Halloween episode that this was kind of normal for American television programs in the... 70s, 80s, and 90s, which is that when they did holiday episodes, they'd go a little bit magic realist, or in this case, straight out supernatural, because one of the characters, spoiler, is an angel in this episode, <laughs> is a, yes. a dead street kid who became an angel. Not just any character. No. A character played by Juliana Hatfield. Correct. Who just wrote a song for this episode. And uh, sings it a few times in the show. Could they have picked a cooler, like, indie rock star to so you're be asking, on the show? You're asking the wrong guy, because um, I didn't know anything. <laughs> Michael Stipe? Like, I don't know. Like, that was that was about the extent of my musical knowledge at the time. Who did you listen? What bands did no, you No, like, I was like, I was R.E.M. and U2, and that was about it. It's pretty mainstream. And Guns N' Roses, obviously. <laughs> because you were a boy yeah. in the right? world. <laughs> That's what we did. That's yeah. what, that was our thing. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, so we're in basically full-on format-busting mode with this episode. There's no opening credits. There's no voiceover from Angela, as we mentioned last week. Um, and I guess the other thing that's kind of worth mentioning is that in as much as shows back in this era would do magical, maybe they still do, you know, I don't watch a lot of network drama anymore. Maybe like every Christmas on the OC, Jesus showed up. I don't know, but like, <laughs> it's possible, how, I suppose. Yeah. How, how would I even know? Um, but the other thing that the shows to do, which actually reminds me of a lot of like 90210 is that the Christmas episode also was probably the closest they ever got to doing a very special episode of My So-Called Life because they really are uh, highlighting the the problem of homeless children in America as their main theme. I think the closest they've come before now is probably the gun episode. It's this is definitely more veering into like after school special territory. Yeah, like yeah. this is this is hits some points like pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's heavy handed. <laughs> it it is heavy handed and it's and it's also charmingly well, I mean, I complained about this a little bit last week, and I'll just you know go again. It 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 is very white middle class American privilege looking out at the idea of homelessness and other classes and other economic levels and so on and so forth. For sure, yeah, yeah. because it's not even like like it's not even about poverty. In yeah. fact, like <laughs> you're right. You're it's right. It's about like well-to-do kids running away from home for sometimes like good reasons, like that they're being abused, but sometimes yeah. just no reason be because teenagers and it happens, but it's like, no, it's like, yes, homelessness, but like not actually like any of the most common yeah. factors that contribute to someone becoming homeless. Right. Yeah. I mean, exactly. I guess teen runaways is like actually a separate issue from homelessness as a 
general societal Mm -hmm. ill but uh but still it's kind of weird that this is like a sort of an issue uh, sort of a homelessness episode without actually being like in any way about like poverty yeah (laughs) that's kind of i mean maybe there's no yeah poor people in pittsburgh it's really (laughs) weird i don't think that's actually true i'm sure that there are it's funny like when i was a teenager and i don't know if this was normal for teenagers or not it certainly wasn't because of my Sogo life but when i was a teenager i was also really sort of fascinated by the idea of street kids you know and 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 what i felt very close it's you know again from a very privileged position i felt very close to that idea like that there were people my age who were just i mean i i think i also had a very unrealistic view of what their lives were actually like like i'd see some kid panhandling on queen street and i'd be like oh my god so tragic when the reality was that person probably just panhandled for a couple hours and went home um not necessarily an actual full-on homeless child you know yeah yeah but i it was it did certainly capture my imagination when I was that age and it's interesting to watch it sort of capture Angela's imagination in this episode as well. For sure. And it captured my imagination in, in a variety of ways at the time as well. Um, which we can talk about as, as it all comes up. Mm-hmm. Were you a fan of runaway train by soul asylum? Uh, I don't, I, I, the funniest thing about runaway train was that my dad was a big fan of runaway train by soul asylum. I don't know where he heard it. I don't know how that happened. He bought the CD the Soul Asylum CD? Yeah, because that was how to have that song, and sure. he would like play it. And I mean, I, I was aware of it, but it wasn't, I didn't own it. My dad owned it. Interesting. Yeah. So your dad, in a way, was a Soul Asylum fan. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Weird, huh? It is a, Must it have is just weird. heard it on the radio one day and thought it was a really good song. It is, you know, it's a good song. <laughs> um, so, the episode, like I said, no opening credits. The episode starts in a cold open with Ricky uh, spitting blood into the snow. So a very... Uh, harsh, uh, very dark opening. It's a very dark episode, especially because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't entirely resolve the Ricky situation. Like it doesn't seem to go into much depth on the Ricky situation. It's all very peripheral to what's yeah, going on with Angela. Like about for an episode that is kind of about Ricky, or at least revolves around Ricky's problems, and Ricky is the catalyst for a lot of what happens to the other characters as well. It's actually surprisingly superficial when it comes to dealing with Ricky. Yeah. We don't get to find out any of what is really happening with him. Mm-hmm. We don't get a lot of the backstory. We don't get like new insights yeah. into his home life really. Uh, and it definitely doesn't resolve. I mean, I know it continues. Like I know that that, that is a storyline that will come again, mm-hmm. but yeah, it is kind of strangely, yeah. um, surface yeah well i mean i I, again i think it's sort of a bit of that bias i was speaking about because the episode is like ricky has a problem but really the conflict of the episode is are you know angela and patty going to be okay and will they decide to nobly extend their uh financial munificence (laughs) around ricky yeah to let him be okay like there are points in this episode like it takes them all a while to get to what is well it takes patty and graham anyway a while to get is what is the kind of obvious point which is like sit this kid down don't let him leave give him a couple hot meals give him a place to sleep for a few nights like try to sort this out help him yeah help him and try to sort this out gradually and instead you know they bounce him a couple of times and and wonder if it's their place to get involved it actually kind of echoes weirdly the 
stuff with Rayanne from last week where, you know, Patty is angsty about, is this her place? Yeah, I find that stuff very strange. I mean, on the one hand, I understand that you shouldn't harbor a runaway without potentially alerting someone. Sure. If you don't know what the situation is, if you don't know whether, in fact, they come from a stable home and are are just troubled or like whatever, if you don't know what's happening, it is kind of weird to take someone else's child into your home and like not tell their parents or, or anybody that like this person is now living with you temporarily. Like I understand the reticence to just sort of be like, sure. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah. sure. I get it. On the other hand, someone who is clearly having a rough time, who's got bruises on their face, who is maybe got no place else to go. Even if you're only taking your kid's word on that and you don't know it for a fact, mm-hmm. like being that reluctant to help is weird. Yeah. Like, insist yeah, like, insist that that kid stay for dinner at yeah, the very like, least exactly, insist that right? he stays for dinner and figure it out later like gain yeah. his trust a little bit by being kind to him find out what's really going on find out if he's really in trouble figure out what the best next step is but don't just let him leave your house because you're what like n- what are you worried about like yeah. what what does a the basic help of like a, a hot meal and a couple of chill hours in like a comforting home environment like what harm can that actually do yeah and i mean to be fair i guess in reverse to the chase is ricky is certainly finicky and not like not finicky but flighty enough in that moment like he's terrified right and yeah and he does run out the door on his own but and so maybe it's just a simple matter of the chase is not being quite quick enough on the uptake to solve the problem right then and there but it's still, yeah, it's weird like it's in terms weird. of the, like what's he, the worst thing that could happen. He takes kind off of because he basically, like, he takes off because he overhears them saying that yeah. they can't keep him, kind of thing. Right. And that is like a invite him for dinner and then go have that conversation in private and figure out what to do next because mm-hmm. letting him stay for a couple of hours is never going to do any harm. Right. And b like just I just don't even understand. Even if you're entirely unsure about this kid that you don't know very well, you know that this, for whatever reason, matters to your child, a child that you are having trouble communicating with, can't seem to get through to, Mm -hmm. don't have a connection to like you used to. So maybe just extend a helping hand because it's a way to connect with your own kid. Right. Even if you don't, actually care that much about helping the other kid like you know what i mean like there's so many reasons to just be generous in that moment Mm -hmm. there are even selfish reasons to be generous in the sense of (laughs) like wanting it to be something that brings you closer to angela as opposed like whatever right so it seems strange that patty and graham are so reluctant and so nervous and and you know it does lead to their conversation about like is it because ricky makes them feel uncomfortable right is it because of who it is as opposed to what the situation is yeah which is a Good question. Yeah. And I, the weirdest thing I think for me is, is watching it again is, I mean, that scene, which is the, if it was Brian Krakow, would you be resistant to this scene? Yeah. It really is the fulcrum of the episode in a lot of ways, but it doesn't actually, it doesn't actually become clear to me. Are they saying that it's a race thing? Are they saying that it's a sexuality thing? Or are they saying that it is simply a proximity thing? I think they're skirting around it. I think Graham is trying to say 
this is like a an unusual kid. He wears makeup. He's different mm-hmm. in a variety of ways. And therefore, you don't feel comfortable around him the way that you feel comfortable around Brian Krakow. And Patty is countering that by uh, sort of tactfully ignoring the race and sexuality and, and other implications and just saying, but I know Brian, I've known him since he was a kid mm-hmm. and I don't know Ricky. Right. So she's trying to say that it is about proximity or that it is about being familiar with this person mm-hmm. uh, and not just bringing a stranger into your home. But if Ricky lived next door to them, would they know him that well? Would they have gotten to know him as well as they know right. Brian? I don't know. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they don't even really come to a satisfying conclusion about that either because, you know, Graham asks, should that matter? And Patty says, well, maybe it shouldn't, but it does. Right. And that's that... kind of the point. Like, maybe it shouldn't matter that, like, maybe it is a legitimate point that, like, you don't know this kid, so you're wary of him because you don't know maybe he's a bad influence on your child. Maybe, who knows, right? Yeah. Like, you don't know Or him. maybe empathy is just easier to extend to, to someone who you know, you know right? right? Yeah. But there are all of these other circumstances. There sure. are all of these other factors. Yeah. And, and things about Ricky that make him different. Yeah. Uh, you know, and should those things matter and... I guess the conclusion they come to is they shouldn't, but they do, Yeah, (laughs) which is difficult. I just think it's odd because the episode does pull the lever so many times about the idea of proximity. And basically the, I think the point of the episode is actually that, uh, the, the whole there, but for the grace of God, go I aspect of it, which is that the, that Angela could be is closer to that happening to her than any of these people would like to expect. It's kind of like going to what you're saying is that their their version of of, of homelessness and street kidness is sort of like you have a fight with your parents and you leave home. You know that's the yeah. kind of thing that seems to be what they came to coming back to over and over again. So that kind of brings the proximity issue up to me, where it's like is that seems to be where they're going with the Ricky thing of trying to be like this could happen to us this could happen to Brian, you know, it's just because this kid's further away from us. We haven't met him before that we've run into this problem. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, I mean, if you're going to do an episode about homeless youth and, and runaway teens, choosing the most privileged version of why that happens is a strange choice, but it kind of makes sense because that is what Angela's family is like. Mm -hmm. That is, you know, the chases are, a happy middle-class family that doesn't have a lot of problems, doesn't face the kinds of issues that people face when they are in danger of becoming homeless. So, so their version of it would be that you just have a fight with your mom and you leave home. And I do recognize that that happens. So it's not, I I think in a, like watching it now, I feel like what a ridiculous like version of homeless youth to hang your hat on for the episode. But, uh, I also know that at watching it at the time that made it more poignant for me as mm-hmm. a teenager because I really felt like that could be me. Yeah. I really truly felt like that could be me. And I, I even maybe like a year before this show was on the air, like came very close to running away from home for no reason. Like just mm-hmm. because I was mad at my parents and actually phoned my mom probably because I didn't really want to do it, but phone my mom from like 
wherever the hell I was in downtown Toronto to basically be like, Hey, I'm not coming home. And she managed to talk me down and get me to come to her office. And then Mm -hmm. she cooled me out and I came home and and everything basically worked out. But, but that was like, I don't remember what the reason was that I was like, screw everything. I'm, I'm leaving home like without any supplies or money or, or even a change of clothes. Like I'm (laughs) this upset about some nonsense that I no longer remember. But it happens because you're right. a teenager and nothing makes sense and your hormones and emotions are completely out of control and you make snap decisions. And like, I'm sure that there are kids who run away from home because they have a fight with their mom. Yeah. Well, that happens all, every day. I mean, <laughs> like, that is totally a, a, in fact, a very reasonable and likely sort of worry to have when you're the mom of a teenager who is not necessarily a bad kid, but a a brooding angsty kid like right. Angela right you know yeah. like she's not in trouble she's not on drugs she's not doing anything particularly bad but she is having a difficult time in in other ways and it's not crazy to think that that might lead her to make poor decisions including the decision to just run out of the house when you've had a fight and not come back yeah watching the um the first few scenes of the show which very much present the chase's absolute familial perfection (laughs) i was sort of struck by the fact that we've spent 14 episodes leading up to now really viewing the chase household as sort of the you know the the crux of the drama where all this angst was and and i certainly identified with the show when i was growing up because i felt exactly as out of place in my home as angela did i think i've said on the podcast before that for about a year or two every time i came home before i walked up the lane i would say to myself (laughs) I hate this place, you know, (laughs) it's insane. Like it's insane that that is how my mind worked. It's insane that this character that we have been following, that is our representative character thinks she has problems when we see this, the beginning of this episode and, and their family is like, the problem is why don't we go to church? You know, like, you're just like, what the fuck was I even thinking? Thinking oh, that totally. there was and conflict here, you know? Same same with me. It's like, what was so bad about my home life that I even... Like, what... Nothing. Like, yeah. my parents were maybe a little overprotective or something. Like, just... Yeah. N- like, these are such... Sm- like, some... Like, Ricky has real problems. <laughs> like, someone's punching Ricky in the face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Angela can't handle living in, in a happy suburban... Mm-hmm family unit yeah and i mean you know. we're not we're not criticizing angela like the drama of the show is angela's struggle for identity and i i, I understand that and, totally you know, and and like i relate to that yeah. as well like that the reason that this show was so meaningful to me at the time is that i felt like i was her and all of these things really hit home in a in an intense and emotionally powerful way yeah. like i wasn't ricky i was angela i empathize with Ricky now and I did at the time but mm-hmm. Angela was the one that I felt like this could literally be me so I'm by no means like criticizing the show's choices on that front I, right. I just find it funny now in retrospect to be like what the hell was so dramatic yeah what was so bad about any of this like yeah. why are teenagers so crazy yep <laughs> yep exactly so uh so Ricky's been punched and then the episode we go to the chases and they are decorating the tree I do like the fact that Danielle is keeping score of what Angela has received for Christmas both this year and in the past which uh, I have to tell you, in my household, actually worked the other way around. It was me and my brother are older than my sister, and we would keep score of what she got because invariably my our sister, the youngest, was being spoiled 
beyond human comprehension by right. my parents. So if we got, you know, something kind of cool and nice, she got 40 of them. <laughs> and so I, I, I like that Danielle was representing me a little bit in this, uh, in this scene. That doesn't happen very often. I also love that Danielle knows like what Angela got when she was eight or 11 or whatever, yeah. like times at which Danielle was either an infant or not even alive yet, Yep. <laughs> but she still is keeping score. Yeah, <laughs> like even absolutely. before her time, she knows exactly where she stands in the family gift hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I Indeed. love Danielle. Yep. And and then we raise this thing that really doesn't go anywhere, both in this episode or any other episode, which is the question of, of how the Chase family deals with religion. And we learn that Graham was raised Catholic and clearly has broken from that because he later refuses to go to church. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, when he does end up having to go to church to pick up Angela at the end, we do see him cross himself as he comes in. Um, old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. So there's something going on in there. Patty, we don't know what her religious upbringing was because we just know that she wasn't raised Catholic. Yeah, presumably some generic stripe of yeah. Protestant. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, but again, that doesn't necessarily go anywhere. What does go anywhere is that li- one of the things that I like about this episode is the, just the way it's it's put together. Everything is very dreamy and slippy, and it you know dissolves from scenes to another. There's interesting transitions on pieces of music or on pieces of action that mm-hmm. get you from one scene to another. So it kind of all flows together in this really interesting way. So. It's, you know, we're, we see a scene at the house and then we're right in the middle of school and Ricky shows up and makes up a, a lame excuse about why he's got a bruise on mm-hmm. his face. Rayanne, of course, knows immediately what's actually going on and then says, you know, <laughs> surprise, surprise for the characters of my so-called life. One, she, she does admit that he gets beat up, but she says he doesn't like to talk about it because mm. God forbid any of these people converse communicate you know with one another yeah and thereby preempt the massive problems that they're going to create for themselves by uh concealing the truth or outright lying to one another which is you know what's going to happen unfortunately yep yeah uh so meanwhile to create a little bit of levity in all of this we get the teen helpline runner um so first we see rayanne making fun of sharon for being interested in it and uh, but Brian's supposed to help her out, but Brian is very upset and depressed and doesn't want to help with the teen helpline. Um, and then we learn that it's because Bob and Bernice Krakow skipped town. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I realize that I guess his family's supposed to be Jewish, so maybe yeah. they don't celebrate Christmas. But it's still kind of a crap thing to do to leave your kid. Yeah, alone it's fun for the holidays. Like it doesn't matter that it like. Come on. <laughs> it's yet another one of these instances, though, where, like, good Lord, if only the characters had a little bit of self-awareness or the ability to express themselves. Like, Brian later does say, you know, I thought it would be good. So probably when his parents asked him if this would be okay, he'd be like, yeah, you know, that would be fine. Yeah. Whereas it's like... It's actually awful. It's actually not fine. And, you know, it, sure, he's 15. Maybe he just did not have the foresight to understand that he was going to be lonely. Yeah. But instead, he's just going to brood around the hallways for this entire episode, uh, very upset about all of that. Um, one of the things that I, I love in this episode is, and then, and I have a adop- I have actually, I once adopted in a relationship was Graham calling Patty shorty. <laughs> I loved it then. And then like my last long-term girlfriend, I just called her shorty all the time until it became the thing. Um, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, and it's never done again. It's just in this episode, he's realized that she's short and then he forgets about it by new year's Eve. Which is just wonderful. Uh, so Ricky is lurking outside the Chase's house where Angela goes out to, to uh, give him some food. And, you know, we have the scene that we've kind of already discussed where 
where Angela does give him some food. But like the the, the whole family is already kind of put. It's like the house is pushing him, pushing back on him already. Like as soon as he comes in, Daniel's like, "It's too late for you to be here," you know. And then that's the first thing that uh, Patty and Graham say when they come home. You know, like it's it's very. Uh, you can see why Ricky would have felt that he was not welcome, even if nobody actually said that he wasn't welcome. It even takes Angela a minute or two to be like, come in. Yeah. like Have food. Join us yeah. in this warm house yeah. that isn't snowing. Yeah. Yeah. And you can understand that she has never experienced anything like this before, and she probably really doesn't know how to behave under these circumstances. But, you know, they're all a little slow on the draw in the scene, and it's it's frustrating you know what <laughs> to, to go back to the uh, shorty thing because i'm a little slow on the draw today mm-hmm. um do you think that graham meant it in the like mid 90s rap sense of like like that his wife is like a fine woman i don't <laughs> because she was sort of like what's with this shorty thing mm-hmm. it made it seem as though he was using it in like the slang way mm-hmm. Which would be adorable, but also where would he have heard? Yeah, it? exactly. No, <laughs> I, I like to think that he was listening to some Nas, and he was like, "Yeah, uh, I'm call Patty Shorty tonight." <laughs> yep, because it's that's... a nice theory. Because honestly, <laughs> that is why I adopted the term. Was that after loving it in this episode and then learning about that, I was like, "Well, that's a thing." I'm gonna call somebody Shorty. Um, but no, I don't think that of Graham. I think it's actually more likely that he caught indiana jones on the temple of doom on tv one night and was like shorty she's like my sidekick right (laughs) that actually does seem a lot more plausible yeah a little more plausible under the circumstances so uh speaking of heartbreaking moments we weren't but here we go uh catalano who's as listeners will know not my favorite character i kind of think he's an idiot but guess what he's also the only character in the show who immediately gets what's going on with Ricky and can help. Yeah. He like sees him seconds later, offers him a ride seconds later is like, Hey, don't worry. Yeah. My, my dad used to knock me around too, because he knows and he doesn't even need to ask. Yeah. Like it's obvious what happened. Yeah. Everything about the way that Ricky is carrying himself and whatever makes it obvious what's going on with him. Yeah. And Jordan, I guess, uncharacteristically just like reaches out and is like a nice human about it. Yeah. This is not the first time that Jordan has protected Ricky. There was that time, I think it was Halloween yeah. where Jordan was, you know, worried that Ricky would get hurt if his gang of friends found him. Yep. So Jordan is aware of the fact that he, he almost seems aware in this scene of the fact that he's kind of got something that Ricky doesn't, which is that he's now very big. Yeah. And, and he had threw a chair at his father and that stopped that problem. Um, but that Ricky doesn't really have that, uh, physical prowess so he can't protect himself and so you know jordan does step in in a very gallant way mm-hmm. which actually leads to another scene which you know when we talked about uh self-esteem i i talked at length about how when i was in high school all the females cooed endlessly about the hand-holding scene at the end there's actually a reprise of that here yeah. i i made that in my notes and was like what is happening yeah. how how are jordan like why are jordan and Angela holding hands, in, yeah. like when he tells her that uh, he knows where Ricky is, yeah, and is like, "Come on, I'll take you there." He grabs her hand, and they walk down the hall. Like, what is going on now? Are they such best friends now? Yeah, that they can just hold hands 
and it doesn't mean anything. And also, they're like Angela doesn't care what anyone else will think. Yeah, this is far and in a way the sweetest, most caring, most compassionate version of Jordan that I think we see in the entire show. Definitely, like he's he. For lack of a better way to put it, he actually seems like he's part of this group of friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He actually seems like he cares about these people. Yeah. Like he's not just interested in Angela in some obscure way that only makes sense to Jordan. To him, yeah. Um, but is actually like, a, yeah, like actually part of a group of friends who care about each other. And mm-hmm. it, it's strange. Yeah. It's strange to see Jordan in this other light. Yeah, Absolutely. <laughs> Um, Rayanne makes the joke that because Ricky's not at school, that maybe he's at a Salminio film festival, which is one of the very few times in the show that they make even an indirect reference to the fact that he could be gay, you know, cause usually it's just not discussed. Yeah. So, it's kind of skirted around. Yeah. But it's like, what would, what would Ricky Vasquez be doing if he's not at school? Oh, he might be at a film festival for the films of a, of a, a notable Latino gay, uh, film actor. Yeah, as if such a thing could exist. I kind of <laughs> wish that it uh, that in it does. suburban Pittsburgh yeah. of 1994. How could it not exist? Yeah, the magical Pittsburgh of our hearts. Yeah. So back to Sharon and Brian. So Sharon's berating Brian for not being part of the uh, the helpline, and she's talking about how people experience symptoms of depression at Christmas. Now I am seasonally affective, like many people, mm-hmm. but I don't know that I knew that this was a real thing until I saw this episode. I think this might have been the thing that kind of twigged me off to this. Until this, I'm pretty sure I just thought of Christmas as a time of magical wonder and everything is great. And it didn't occur to me that there could be people in the world of which I would eventually become one who could feel the other way about it, who could feel lonely and underrepresented in Christmas if they weren't kind of part of that nuclear family la la holidays thing yeah totally same here i think that this was probably my first um realization that like happy times aren't happy for everyone yeah (laughs) right in in a very naive childlike kind of way i think that that was the first time that i actually thought about that seriously yeah i think i you know i mean i i find there are still people that i associate with and spend time with who are genuinely astonished when there are people who are not happy in happy times. <laughs> you know? like, it's funny. I I mean, I don't know, like maybe uh, d- obviously where and how you grow up and affects who you end up being friends with and whatever and, and the kind of person you are and the kind of personality you have affects who you end up being friends with. But I was talking to someone, uh, a friend, an American friend who's around my age, lives in Austin, um, And she was saying, I forget how the subject of mental illness came up, but she was saying that she literally didn't know anyone who was openly struggling with mental illness. Wow. And I was so shocked by that because I feel like in my friend group and since high school, in fact, like the number of people that I know who have, who are bipolar or who have depression or who deal with anxiety or any number of other, you know, issues of that sort is like, that is like half the people I know. Yeah. (laughs) Like every best friend I've ever had is bipolar. Like that is just a completely normal part of the world. Like that, that is what people are like. And 
I may not have been consciously aware of that when I was 15 or 16 or however old I was when this show was airing. But even then I had friends who struggled. In fact, like I just didn't know how to name it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Uh, And yeah, but like there are people who have never encountered that. And I don't, I have no frame of reference for that experience. Like I do not understand how it's possible to have, to, to be like 40 years old and and don't know anyone (laughs) who struggles with mental illness. Like, or think that you don't right? or think that you don't like, exactly yeah. yeah or like live in in like such a bubble that you have never noticed yeah. that about anybody yeah. in your life like what yeah how, how is that, that even, possible i have no idea That's no idea madness um so speaking of madness we uh we spent a couple minutes in the music room because angela has been pulled in and she has found the angel juliana hatfield angel um angela angel everybody's got that right um <laughs> get it yeah think about it she's get it? Uh, sitting there playing she's got bad shoes angela just got very nice shoes uh she knows who uh angela is she knows about ricky and then she just whoa, disappears and this is the moment she finds jordan it's a really weird moment because the angel vanishes and right where she thought she was there's jordan there's jordan which suggests a connection to the beast we call the desolate one. No, it doesn't just do anything. Um, but that would be interesting if Jordan was either with or against the angels. Um, that would be fascinating. So Jordan takes Angela to the place where Ricky's crashing. Here's the question that everybody wants to know the answer to. Is it the same house where Jordan wanted to take Angela to have sex? I think no. No, probably not. But <laughs> it was just like remembering how creepy and disgusting that place was. Indeed. Uh, it's like, you know, I mean, maybe Jordan has a very limited number of, you know, I know a place answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in in the sex episode, I remember thinking no one I went to high school with knew of a creepy abandoned house where kids went to have sex. That's disgusting. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> no one I know would have ever gone to such a place. Yeah. And in this episode, I wondered did other teenagers know of an abandoned warehouse where homeless teens crashed? Because I didn't know of any such places when I was a teenager. Nope. If someone was like, Hey, I need a place to stay. I, I would not have known other than like on my couch or on the couch of one of my friends or whatever. I, there never in my teenage years would have been a time where I would have been like, Oh yeah, there's this place where like homeless teens crash. Yeah. Like that's not a thing that I knew about. I mean, I don't mean to be a total blockhead, but are there generally places where a hundred homeless street kids are just crashing at any given time? Like that just sort of seems like I, it is kind of weird and TV made up. You it know? does seem a little made up. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are, there are always like, there are always places in cities where homeless people congregate. I don't know that there are necessarily places where random teenagers specifically congregate that are not already part of some kind of community you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like some kind of a crew who help each other out and whatever yeah it it is kind of odd but i guess i guess there are always places that you that you know about that are like unused for one reason or another sure that you could be like oh yeah we can party in that you know old factory because there's no you know because there's no one there and we can drink beer and make noise or like we can you know whatever there are places like that i guess in everyone's lives Mm -hmm. i'm just not sure that there are places like that that are specifically where all of the runaway teens go that seems a bit weird right yeah (laughs) but you know what if anyone who's listening is like you guys are clueless and 
privileged and you don't know about the teen homeless teen like gathering places of the world like tell us because i'm curious about whether that's a real thing yeah as always please leave comments at modernsuperior.com on this episode or any episode because we would we would love to know about that because again you know one of the i guess what's interesting about my whole relationship about my so-called life is the degree to which I completely bought in and invested in the show. And then the older I get, it's not that I don't like it as much, but I can see, one, my own blindnesses and biases that were bringing me there in the first place. Yep. And two, as I've said before, you know, the, the funnest part of all of this is aging out of being able to relate to the teens as much as I used to. Like, totally. You know, slowly beginning to see the parents' point of view and then realizing the parents' point of view is, is mine. And now I'm in the horrible spit state of being like, oh, soon I'm not even going to have their point of view anymore. Like, <laughs> I'm now older than them and I'm going to keep on going and they're going to stay the same age and it's just going to be awful. Yeah. So uh, Ricky will not come home with Angela. Um, Angela changes her boots with the angel, which... Again, in the admittedly palms up symbolism of the episode, is because they could be in the same shoes, uh, literally. Whoa! Yeah, think I know. about it. And and then she goes home, and and Brian is there helping them decorate the tree, and Danielle is literally covered in ornaments. It's a nice little uh, visual gag, and 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 then Brian wants to know what's going on with Ricky because you know he does he does admittedly care about Ricky. So they have a literal fireside chat about it. Like they literally sit down cross-legged like a couple of Norman Rockwell children in front of the roaring Angela Chase, uh, Chase family fire and they talk about what's going on with Ricky. Uh, one of the things that I thought was neat kind of leading into that scene was that that the first thing Angela says is, if I tell you, do you promise not to blab it to everyone? Which suggests to me, and rightly so, she hasn't really gotten over the thing where he told everyone that she'd had sex with Jordan Catalano. Yeah. Like she yeah. thinks of Brian as a big gossip. Yeah. And that's fair. I mean, it hasn't in the timeline of the show, it hasn't been that long right. since that happened. And that would be the kind of thing that would stick with yep. you. If someone told the school that you were a tramp, yep. you would probably remember that for a little while, even if you uh, sort of got over it and we're still friends with that person. So yeah. that kind of makes sense. Yeah. And uh, I can see also like that's, it's part of like a, she remembers that about Brian B she recognizes that Ricky doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want people to know. Mm-hmm. And C, I feel like it feeds into everyone's discomfort with facing and dealing with what's happening to Ricky. Sure. Like, it's not something anyone has actually openly talked about. And yeah, Ricky doesn't want to talk about it, but Ricky's also like a kid who maybe someone should talk to and help. Yeah. You know, like yeah. maybe it shouldn't just be up to him to decide whether he faces the reality of his terrible home life and like maybe someone should step in and try to draw him out more. Right. Which no one is really doing yet. Um, so yeah, it's sort of like, let's not talk about it. Yeah. So in the great tradition of Patty and Graham and, and in the literal, like the literally this happened last week, which is a bit of a bit unfortunate from a repetition standpoint, but once again, Patty and Graham overhear what's going on and once again, decide to take over and above parental action to help, uh, solve this problem, but because they are white middle-class Americans who have absolute faith in the system of government and the community that they live in, they go to the police. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, Which uh, totally seems to me like the the kind of terrible decision that my parents might have made it, it, at the time. Mine too. Like, absolutely. Not, like, yeah. And it's not even, not even to fault any of those real or fictional people. Like yep. they don't, they believe that that is the way to help. They yeah. believe that the police are there to help. They believe that the police are there to protect protect people. 
they think that they are stepping in in the correct way by calling the police like all of this i understand why people feel that way right i also feel like fewer people think that in the present day than maybe did 20 to 25 years ago there's more reasons to wonder whether calling the cops on like a gay latino teen is a good idea Mm -hmm. i don't know not to you know like not to get into a much heavier political discussion here but i feel like even my parents might not call the cops if i was a teenager today Mm -hmm. uh but they probably would have oh yeah 1994 yeah mine too i I love the way the script and particularly bess armstrong and tom Irwin's performances dance around this line of like we have to do the right thing and then later they're like is this the right thing like they have this idea that there's a right thing to do they don't know what it is they don't know how to execute it they're just like we're good people we have to do the right thing here. They do yeah. make the world's most racially insensitive joke, which is the Spike Lee joke, um, which suggests that whoever wrote that line maybe either had never seen Do the Right Thing or uh, was totally deaf to what that movie is actually about. Yeah. But uh, but whatever. Um, uh, it's it is it's funny to watch them again trying to use the systems that they believe in to. Uh, serve their proxy in terms of like what they think is correct moral behavior. Like at this point, it's not even about whether they care about Ricky or care about Angela. It's like it's morally, what is the right thing to do? Yeah, there is a correct answer and an incorrect yeah. answer to this problem. And yeah. we should choose wisely the correct one because we are not decent people. And yeah, you know, and that's understandable. Again, like it, it yeah. is understandable that you would have that thought process and that you would be like, what's the right thing to do? Um. They, I guess, do the best with the tools and information that they have available to them. They're not people who would have any reason to doubt, yeah, you know, the cops or why calling the cops might be a bad idea in this context. Even though, like later on, they have doubts and they are kind of like, is was that the right thing yeah. to do? Maybe not, but yeah. you know, but it's 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 what it's what their lives like. It's what everything has led them to believe is correct. So there's no, it's hard to fault them for making that choice because they don't know yeah. any different. You know Absolutely. what I mean? <laughs> and then in, while in this station, Patty has her third, what I call Patty's mental mind walk moments, which is that she's looking at this wall of missing children and she just goes away in her mind a little bit and zeroes in on the angel Juliana Hatfield. Yeah, who's got a got a photo up there as a missing child. So we I this being the third case, I'm like I think we need to accept that Patty is psychic. <laughs> yeah. You know? She has some sort of teen radar, teen yeah. girl radar. Teen girl radar, absolutely. That, uh, yeah. that maybe she's not even fully aware of her powers. Like she doesn't know how to she's harness. Clearly, is the not power. aware of them. <laughs> I don't think she's necessarily an imaginative enough person that she would become aware of it and be able to use it. But I think there's ample evidence that you know, forget Amber and everyone else who's like trying to be, you know, connecting with the next plane. Patty Chase is on the next plane. <laughs> Looking yeah. down at the rest of us. <laughs> uh, so they go home and, 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 and then Angela and Patty get into this this really weird fight, as they kind of put it, you know, where the fight seems to be having them. I like how sort of unjustifiably but very demonstrably Patty takes it up to 11 in terms of just her anger level and her sense of – she almost seems like hurt that her perfectly cared for, protected daughter would even – you know, suggest 
that this was an, a remote possibility. She is hurt. You know? Yeah. Like, I think you're absolutely right. I think that she's hurt by the um, suggestion that because I think that she sees the the outcome of a runaway teen as being the result of some kind of parenting failure, right? Yeah. Like it, that doesn't happen to good kids from good families. It happens to kids who are troubled and have bad families, yeah. right? Like that's, she, you know, their family, they are good people, right? They want to do the right thing and they've tried to raise their kids the right way, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. So the idea that they could have the same outcome that, you know, Ricky has, who's being abused at home, obviously clearly that hurts her feelings. Yeah. <laughs> the suggestion of that is terrible. And, and so she lashes out at Angela and it's one of those, like it's one of those really tragic moments for me in the show is like watching that full, that um, fight unfold. You realize she has, totally legitimate emotional reasons for feeling hurt by that suggestion mm -hmm. but it is making her miss the opportunity to connect with her child in a meaningful way because angela is actually reaching out by saying that could be me mm -hmm. like that is a real moment yeah where she's she is, revealing she's why revealing, this is so yeah she's revealing her. something about herself and yeah. how she sees herself in relation to her family and she's revealing something about how vulnerable she is and how possibly in trouble she could be mm -hmm. and patty can't stop to hear that instead she like lashes out because she's so upset by the suggestion and, it, and it's completely understandable that she's upset by it but it means that angela ends up running off instead of them having like a moment of connection which yeah. is, makes it like like yes the fight is having you like yeah. this you have missed you've both missed a chance to connect with each other in a way that could have actually really been significant for your relationship. And instead it's just turned into the thing that both of you were trying to warn each other about. Mm -hmm. So instead of connecting, Angela goes in a beret, I might add to warn Ricky and ends up getting apparently arrested or, you know, the police are there. They've already been there. They've cleared out this house. And the like, just to prove, I guess, to <laughs> Patty and Graham and all of the rest of us that calling the cops is the right thing to do under mm -hmm. any circumstances. Yeah. The cops uh, are incredibly nice to all of the street kids and mm -hmm. take them to a church basement to, a church to basement. be warm and fed. I mean, it is Christmas. Perhaps that would happen in the real world. Maybe. But yeah, it does all work out very nicely for everyone. Before we get there, there is the little uh, intermission scene where Brian calls the teen helpline and Rayanne has phone sex with him, <laughs> what which a is great moment. wonderful. I, I do feel a little like <laughs> watching it this time. I was like, oh, this is just as wonderful as I remember it being. Mm -hmm. Although I feel like how come she recognizes his voice right away and he doesn't recognize hers at all yeah well I, I i give that up to one he's brian he's an idiot two he does actually ask her if she goes to liberty like so if he i think he probably recognizes that there's a possibility it's someone he knows but then he's so stupid <laughs> and he takes her at her word when she says that she doesn't so funny yeah wonderful wonderful little scene delightful um says a lot about i think about about both of them so once again my i've said earlier 
I think Patty is psychic. So she's now full on, as much as we will ever see, using her mental powers to locate Angela like a fucking divining rod. She is wandering through the streets of Pittsburgh. Completely um, at random. Although I guess she does have some help from the guardian angel well yes so this is but this is right? the thing this is the psychic thing so she, she spots her she lo- shoes which are actually angela's shoes yeah and follows her but the angel is leading her to the right place that's right but um. but then <laughs> further to the mental mind walk thing they have the conversation about the fight that she had with her mom and then she's just like go ahead ask me the thing and she's like how did you die so Patty has fully worked out and accepted the fact that she is talking to a dead person. Yeah. And She's just like, like, why did you run right. away from home? Yeah. And then the second question is, how did you die? Yeah. Which is a strangely powerful moment in the episode, but it's also bizarre. <laughs> oh, very bizarre. Because you just don't know exactly how Patty Chase would have got there. But then again, and watching it this time, I think I solved my own question, which is like, of course, she's psychic. She's, she's working on a different plane. She probably radar. probably sees the aura around the angel that none of us, the camera can't even pick it up. We can't see it. <laughs> she sees the wings. Yeah, exactly. That we get to see in the final shot. At the shot. very end. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I think that's probably what is going on here. When you watched this episode the first time, do you remember being surprised that Juliana Hatfield was an angel or dead or did you had you worked it out before then no I hadn't worked I'm bad at working things out in advance I certainly that's I think why I bring it up is that I found it so odd that Patty makes this mental leap to ask this person not is she dead how did she die she takes it as an assumption that she did die and and then once that was on the table I think the angel wings at the end probably didn't surprise me as much but the idea that Again, Patty Chase, Miss Rational, just figured out that she was talking to a ghost. I think, yeah, I don't think that I had worked it out either when I watched the show originally. And however, when that scene happened, I definitely had a aha moment Mm. of being like, oh, of course, of course, she's a guardian angel. Of course, all of those times when she was just happened to be in the right place at the right time and then disappeared. Of course, like they were even watching It's a Wonderful Life at the beginning of the episode on TV. Like the idea of guardian angels has been set up Mm -hmm. for sure. But I I definitely didn't see it coming. And then I was surprised and, and I think probably cried. Yeah. Like, definitely yesterday when I watched it, I cried. But, like, in the 90s, I'm pretty sure I also cried. Awesome. (laughs) Now, we've established previously that God does exist in the My So-Called Life cosmology and that he does answer prayers. And so for the second time on the show, a character prays to God out loud and God answers the question. And Patty says, you know, God, help me. And God's like, sure. And she here's finds, an angel. Here's well, and, and but <laughs> here's also here's an angel who will lead you to your daughter and solve your problems. Yeah, but also this here's a church, and who's right inside? Ricky Vasquez, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. That's lighting right. Can- now this doesn't make any sense because Ricky and Angela are in the same church. Angela's in the basement. Ricky's upstairs. They somehow have not located one another, in spite of having been herded to the same place by the police, probably within five minutes of one another. Yeah, I mean, I guess they could have gone in different police cars. Sure. That's yep. Sure. Yep. Why not? Yep. <laughs> Let's go with that. But I do like the fact that, I mean, for whatever degree to which, you know, the episode does seem a little bit muddled to me about what it is trying to say about Ricky, that the only way that Patty can find Angela is to find Ricky, is to accept that she has to help Ricky, to give Ricky that hug that he very clearly, sorely needs. Really needs. Yeah. And and be a mother to this child that 
you know, has been lost otherwise. It's like she has to help Ricky not fall into the trap that Juliana Hatfield fell into, and then she can find her daughter. Yeah. And that's good. Good it old Spielbergian good. storytelling. That's what I like, you know? Totally. <laughs> so, totally. It's great. Yeah. It works. It It is sort of like, boy, why did it take everyone so long to figure out that they just needed to help Ricky? Yeah. Yeah. Kid clearly needs help. Yeah. It's super obvious. Yeah, it really is. Come on, everyone. It's Christmas. Yep. Now, the episode does... I mean, <laughs> you want to know what really broke my heart this time? What? The episode takes the time to sideline Ricky exactly one more time, which is that when Patty does find Angelo and they're hugging, there's that horrible shot where Ricky is just standing next to them, watching them hug, and he just kind of reaches out and touches them for a second and then like pulls back. And I'm just like, even here... Like they've saved Ricky. So hard. The white people have sailed in and saved the day. And even here, they're still excluding him. <laughs> He's still being forced to be on the outside of this of this family. Tragic. Yeah. Um, and then we just basically go into full phantasmagoria mode. The choir is singing. The rest of the family just shows up. Brian's there for no reason, which is wonderful. He was just hanging around just the hanging Chase around. house. So. And then we have He's got nowhere to go. No, absolutely. <laughs> but it's like you know, I like the shot of you know, like why are you here? You know, like, oh, I don't know. Um, I'm always hanging around inappropriately. Yeah, <laughs> that's. But but as far as my so-called life montages go, I think that the closer of this episode is just gorgeous as we kind of sweep across uh jordan lighting a candle for presumably ricky or also possibly himself um sharon and rayanne actually just having fun together yeah um having fun on the teen helpline yeah which i guess there's not a lot of troubled teens and they're not getting a lot of calls because they're just like chatting yeah they're just chatting and having a good time but it is literally the only time we will see them without any uh guard up acting like friends with one another yeah so it's beautiful and then of course we we go out into the courtyard and and julia (laughs) field flies away beautiful angel that's great stuff um something i had forgotten again very special episode uh is that is that we do get a little tag at the end where where ricky narrates a teen helpline um phone number that's right for missing and exploited children which Interesting. I, I don't think I'd known. I, I don't think I, I would have known what an exploited child was when I saw this in ni- in 1994. And, yeah, I'm sure I wouldn't have. Yeah. 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 So that was interesting. Very. Cool. So that's the Christmas episode. And now is the time for us to read from our diaries on the, uh, the episode actually aired very close to Christmas. It aired on the 22nd of December of 1994. So we have skipped another week after after last week. So I don't know what you've got for that time period. Mine, no, mine is incredibly short. Mine is so short, I almost feel bad. So I have... It was the 22nd, you said, that yes, the, that's this aired correct. on? Yeah. Okay, so I have um, one... I have four entries that are all dated the 20th of December, That's which I odd. guess was a very big day Tumultuous. for me. Yeah. Um, so maybe I'll just read the first one of those. Sure. Um, because it's kind of a follow-up to last week's. And uh, and then who knows, maybe if I don't have an early January one, I'll go back to one of the other yeah. uh, 20th of December. Because it's very unusual that I would write that many times in one day, but mm-hmm. it was a big day. Apparently so. All right. Um, so the first one is almost a full page. So it's there's there's stuff to hopefully talk about. Um, December twentieth. School's out. 
On Friday, Rupa, Andrea, Jason, Amber, Jeff, John Velasquez, and a grade 10 guy named Daniel and I all went to the Marche for dinner. There's the, the Marche, Marche again. Beautiful. Remember, I was almost yep. grounded and couldn't go, but yep. then I got to go. That's lovely. <laughs> uh, Daniel brought some pot and we had a joint before coming to the restaurant. Only, only Rupa, Dan, and me. In brackets. Then, after all was said and done, Rupa, Dan, and I came back to my place. Once my parents went to bed, we went out on the balcony and got even more stoned. Just one more joint. Uh, at the restaurant, Dan and Rupa and I were high. Or, sorry, Dan and Rupa were high, but I wasn't. But at home, Daniel passed out on my bed. Rupa was lying on her stomach, sucking her thumb and talking to herself nonstop. <laughs> Complete nonsense, i.e. crayfish are like cookies. And I actually got stoned. Like really, truly, honest to God stoned. I felt like uh, I was slipping in and out of a dream and my perception was all funny. The crazy part is that I could still talk and act and think pretty clearly, but it was nuts. I got to that, I got past that point that Andrea and I... Uh, never got passed before. Um, anyway, before we got really wasted, we called Kay. He seemed kind of out of it, but spent a long time uh, chatting with me. At one point, um, I said I dreamed that his ex-wife, that I dreamed of his ex-wife and she was wearing an 80s outfit. I don't think he actually has an ex-wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he said, but she looked nothing like you in a miniskirt, right? And I thought he only liked me as a friend. Oh, well. Wow. What an entry. What an entry. Oh, man. <laughs> I think man. that might have been the first time I ever got stoned. Have we? I don't think we've ever gotten stoned together. I <laughs> suddenly really want to get high with you. <laughs> I'm a pretty fun stoner. Yeah, that's say. my perception. I have a... Uh, although, like, in my l mid to late 20s, I basically stopped smoking pot because it was starting to make me a little paranoid. But I yeah. feel like I'm old enough now that I no longer unless it's just a matter of brain chemistry and, and I have no control of it over it. But I feel like now I have no uh, like reasons to feel stressed out about the idea of smoking a joint. So mm. I could probably go back to just having fun with it. But when I was like a teen or in my twenties, it's not like I smoked pot all the time, but when I did, I had hilarious times only. Like mm -hmm. I was just like good times party gal. <laughs> yeah. That's basically me. I had nothing but hilarious times when I was high with the exception of one time when I got incredibly high and watched alien. Oh no. And I just lost my <laughs> shit. Like, I don't think I made it 35 minutes into the movie before I was like having nightmare shock flashes of just like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> like, I just had a very bad reaction. I had a very strange uh, time once I, I, didn't do mushrooms often in my life, but I did it a few times. And one of the times that I did it, I uh, watched Eli Roth's Cabin Fever oh. with a couple of friends while high on mushrooms. Mm -hmm. And I just, like, it didn't make me freak out. I didn't, like, get paranoid or scared or anything. I just felt like I had gone crazy. Like, I truly <laughs> felt like this made me lose my mind and that was the end. Nice. <laughs> it's pretty great. Fantastic. All right. Well, mine, like I said, very short, so we'll just tie it off here. Uh, Twelve twenty-two ninety-four. Not much all day, but I began painting my room a bitchin' shade of gray. Fits my life. Called the chief. I'm a phone person now. That's it. Who's the chief? Chief is Sandy. And the phone person thing is is reference. And this is I was not, I did not become a phone person as of this moment. I've always hated talking on the phone. Me too. Like since I was seven. Me too. And I still do. It's Me kind too. Of actually, funny that I work for a phone company. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I hate phones. Always have. Um, but obviously, when you have a crush on a girl in high school, you pretty much don't have a choice. Yeah, you got to make yeah. it. The ironic thing about my hatred of the phone is that my part-time job when I was in high school was working in a call center. Oh, man. Uh, it was really hard. I had to get over like a major anxiety block every shift. Wow. <laughs> Luckily, yeah, I the just people I worked with were a really fun assortment of weirdos, like <laughs> uh, other yeah. students and also like some new immigrants and people like just people from random walks of life who needed a weird, easy to get part-time job. Sure. Um, but yeah, it was hard every single shift. I did that job for like four <laughs> years. I don't know what, why did I put myself through that? It was, I've always hated the phone. Yeah. Yeah. yeah still do. I, I think that once when I graduated from, from university, I actually got, fired from a job because i was just incapable of doing the part of my job that involved getting back to people on the phone right it's amazing how long i will and how hard i will work to not have to call people in my job which yeah. is a very telephony job <laughs> even if it wasn't a phone company it would be a very telephony job i sometimes uh will put off phoning people in my personal life for various reasons like not even people i know but just like you know i have to make an administrative phone call about something or or i have to like order a pizza or whatever it is mm -hmm. uh and colin will sort of like try to encourage me to make the phone call mm -hmm. and or be like you can do it come on it's not that bad and i and partly i appreciate his efforts and partly i'm like or you could just do it because yep. you don't have the problem yeah so Stop making me try to do this thing that I hate. <laughs> my, my last girlfriend, the one actually that I called Shorty, I um, I would get the biggest puppy dog eyes on any time we had to order food. Like she knew exactly what I was doing and she knew that if she pushed me, I would tough through it and order the food. But I'd be like, please, please. please. And she would do it. It was the best. The and I felt so, such vindication every time I got her to do it. You know, like I was just like, yes, another phone call I don't have to make. Truly the one of the greatest innovations of my like adult life is food ordering apps oh that my allow God. me to not phone. it's the best <laughs> the worst is when you use a food ordering app and they call you anyway to yes. verify the order i'm i always feel so betrayed like totally we've like done this we settled this we avoided the necessity of this my favorite thing that i've been thinking about all week is i love that call centers have gotten so tired of talking to us that they've implemented all of these live chat functions so that most of my call center related concerns I can just do on a little chat window on their website and not have to talk to anybody. So much better. It's the best. <laughs> yeah. Well, we went, we went further with that than I expected. That was good. <laughs> uh, okay. So thanks for listening, everyone. Next, uh, well, two weeks from now. So this episode will be going up on the 11th of August. Hey, Suicide Squad is in theaters. You can go see our boy, Jordan Catalano, Jared Leto, play the Joker in a feature film. Who could have guessed that back in 1994? Nobody. Literally that's no human insane. on earth. insane. Like that's actually just the, like of all of the outcomes for all of this cast, Jared Leto is the Joker. I, not for in a million years I could have seen that. Takes the cake. Yeah. So we will be back on the, hopefully back on the 25th with the episode called Resolutions, which is the, uh, the follow-up to this one, the New Year's Eve episode that deals with what happened to Ricky next. I will say that uh, I'm doing some traveling in August. You're doing some traveling in August. The Toronto International Film Festival is coming right up. We will do our best to stay on the two-week schedule, obviously. Mm -hmm. We may slip a week here or there, but keep an eye on us on Twitter to find out what's the what. So either we will see you in late August or have a great Labor Day weekend. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> we're, we kind of got one shot to nail this, and who knows. So uh, thanks for listening. You can leave comments at modernsuperior.com, which is where we are hosted. While you are there, feel free to check out all the other fantastic podcasts that uh, happen there. The 
Let's Scare Matthew Price to Death is obviously very close to my heart. See you next Wednesday. It's like the Mothership podcast. And then there's Flight School as well. They also talk about TV and other shows. Go listen to those things, and we will talk to you soon.